Welcome to Collis Curls on the Sofa podcast. Hello, welcome to our podcast. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Natalie Bell and I'm a partner in the corporate finance and funds team at Collis Krell. Um, I have a broad and varied corporate and funds practice, but I spend a lot of time working with emerging managers on all types of investment funds, helping them to structure and launch their first funds or their first offshore structures. I'm absolutely delighted to be here today with Laura D'Assensal from TMF. Um, Laura is the director at TMF and acts as an independent director for a number of funds. Um, TMF is a global service provider with over 9,000 employees in over 125 locations. In the Cayman Islands, they form funds, provide registered office, fund administration and regulatory and governance services. Um, today, Laura and I are going to be asking each other some of the questions that we get from clients about the fund launch process. Okay, so Laura, first question um, is, we, we know that Cayman funds are not required to have independent directors based in the Cayman Islands, but it's very highly recommended. And so I just wondered whether you could talk to us a bit about why that is. Absolutely, Natalie, and thank you again for having me on this podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, great question. Uh, Let me just start by saying that the legislation does not require a fund to appoint an independent director, nor does he or she needs to be based in the Cayman Islands. Um, I mean, there is one, uh, the the four I principles that have been implemented by CIMA, obviously, you need to have at least two directors uh, at, um, at board level. Uh, It is recommended, however, to have a Cayman Islands-based director um, because of several reasons. And firstly, it really assists with regulatory compliance, right? As we work together on fund launches, you you deal with fund launches and uh, during the year, maybe when there are uh, complex transactions going on, but it is really the director that is involved on a day-to-day basis. Uh, making sure that you know the performance of the fund is in line with the uh, fund documentation, with the constitutional documents, uh, etc. And I think also from a uh, regulatory perspective, it's important to make sure that all the ongoing uh, obligations are met, and the director is obviously looking into that on a, on a daily basis as well, apart from um, following the um, the performance of the fund. Secondly, it's it's really the, the investors nowadays that look at the governance level. They appreciate that there is an independent director involved. It gives them more comfort. Also, that you know, for for their also their, their co-investors, that everything is done um, well from a regulatory standpoint. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's the directors that keep a close eye on the regulatory compliance. And um, yeah, they just they just feel good that there's a focus on, on regulatory compliance or whatever it does the uh, governance for, for the fund. And it will help also with the with fundraising, which obviously is, is a great uh, benefit. Yeah, because investors really like to see there's independence on the board and it's not just the management directors on the board of the fund. So I think that I think investors do look really, really um, carefully at that and um, are always um, pleased to see independence on the, on the fund board. Yes, absolutely. And I think also there's like so many, you know, regulatory changes we've had in the last few years, it's really hard to keep up. So if you have a director, you know, they can really look into into that and provide the other directors or the non-Cayman resident directors with regulatory updates. Yeah. And um, I think last but not least, it's also 
the um, the mine and management in Cayman. I mean, we we recently implemented economic substance legislation in Cayman, and I thought I'd just point it out. Obviously, investment funds are out of scope for uh, economic substance, but it doesn't mean that another country outside, obviously, of Cayman, um, yeah, that there is no like tax requirement in that country to have mining management in Cayman. So that strategic decisions are made in Cayman. You know, board meetings are held here, and eventually that could be a trigger from, let's say, onshore council to have uh, a Cayman director. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it can often be triggered by the onshore tax rules that they need to have mine management outside of that country. Um, and, and that will be governed by the tax rules of that onshore jurisdiction. And we often get people asking us, you know, if we need Cayman resident directors to make sure that the, the entity's tax resident in Cayman, but actually that's not something we advise on, it's something that the onshore lawyers will have to advise on. So yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, that's one of the, uh, one of the reasons I think you, you would need want to have a director at the end of the day it's it's you know i would say it's you see it as an investment it's a small price to pay for really regulatory compliance you know we also also share like uh, experiences from other fund managers obviously on a no names basis which could then also help other fund managers you know how you know other funds are managed or uh, are being compliant uh, on a day-to-day basis. Great. So can you tell us um, some of the regulatory concerns that people need to be aware of when they're launching their Cayman funds? Yes, and, and that's again a good question. And interestingly, um, I'm just going back to July where SEMA, a regulator, had issued a circular on anti-money laundering compliance. And uh, that was really related to the SIBA entities, the Securities Investment Business Act entities, which act as you know, investment managers for, uh, for Cayman funds. So the investment managers entity that is then based in Cayman. And um, yeah, they did some uh, on-site in- inspections and they had some, yeah, some good, I guess, feedback to, to us, to the industry on, on how that has been conducted. Uh, quite surprisingly, a lot of um, yeah entities were not fully compliant, and and I can share a few uh, a few of them here. Uh, the first one is really customer identification, verification, and ongoing monitoring. So, seventy five percent of the entities inspected indicated weaknesses in their due diligence and ongoing monitoring programs to evidence periodic customer file reviews and transaction monitoring procedures. Then we had the second one, which is policies and procedures. So of the entities inspected, weaknesses were identified in 43% when it came to sanctions, uh, compliance controls and systems, which obviously is key lately with everything that's going on in the world, with the Russian regime and everything related to that. And um, the third one is independent AML or um, uh, counter financing terrorism audit function. Weaknesses in the oversight of the compliance function by that board were in more than half of the inspected entities, which is 53%, which is quite high, I think. So is that people not doing annual audits? Is that what that was discovering? Yes, I believe so. I think it's um, it's first of all to have you know an anti-money laundering compliance officer in place, and that person does the the annual or should do the annual testing or 
well, you call it audit, uh, audit or quality assurance, or uh, to make sure that the fund entity, or in this case, the SIBA entity, complies with the uh, with the AML framework and and its policies and procedures. Right. And and I think also the last one is is really record keeping. So more than a quarter of the entities inspected displayed weaknesses in the records management system when it came to all relevant records being appropriately maintained and readily accessible to SEMA. So I think at the end of the day, I mean, what, what we really learned from this is that the SEBA entities, not only that, but also like, you know, any fund really, private funds, mutual funds, they have to have a compliant anti-money laundering program. That's really interesting. And and you, you mentioned that that was in relation to like SEBA reg- registered persons, um, so the, the managers and the investment advisors, um, and, and that there was a survey that was done of those entities to see um, how they were complying. So do we think that that sort of survey is going to be extended to funds? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I mean, it does set a good baseline for, for the audits. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't think that that's impossible. Obviously, yeah. I can't really look into the future, but I do think that this is a good, um, yeah, again, case for them to uh, to do that to to private funds and and mutual funds. Right. In the so, so I guess the message is everyone needs to be making sure that they have everything in place and that they're able to respond to a questionnaire of that type um, from the outset, just in case in case that comes up. Yeah, and I think especially as everybody's always you know focusing on the fund itself, fund has to be compliant, but it's also the investment manager. Uh, entity that's based in Cayman that needs to fulfill those requirements and sometimes that's really missed. Yeah that's true. So our next question is um, that we've noticed that SEMA has been and and SEMA have said that they're going to be more active in terms of um, enforcement and issuing fines. So what should people be doing to mitigate that risk? Yes indeed SEMA has been quite active (laughs) and um, yeah as I mentioned earlier it's like the first thing is really, you know, have have directors in, in place from a governance perspective because the directors will make sure that you meet your annual um, deadlines when it comes to paying fees to SEMA, to the register, making sure that the, the reporting is done from a FACA CRS perspective and also, you know, that your financial statements are submitted in time. And eventually, you know, the AML regulation do stipulate that if there is a serious breach, um, of non-compliance that they can issue fines of up to, one to 1.2 million US dollars, which is quite a big amount. Yeah. Right. So you want to make sure that you're compliant just to make sure that that's, that's not going to happen. So, so Laura, could you just, for everybody listening um, who might be launching a Cayman fund, could you just run us through what the AML requirements then are for a fund that's launching in the Cayman Islands? Yes, absolutely. I think the first thing, uh, what we always do and, and what you probably have seen also during fund launches is to appoint the AML compliance officer, money laundering reporting officer, and deputy money laundering reporting officer, which is also part of the you know, uh, fund registration with SEMA. And it's always interesting because there are, I will see like two different roles. You have like the AML compliance officer that has to make sure that the AML framework is um, is in place and that the policies and pre- procedures are adhered to by the team that does the investor due diligence. So that team generally is a different team, right? Like we, we generally have 
uh, Chinese walls within our organization. So the teams that does, uh, conduct uh, due diligence, they have to follow the funds policies and procedures. And then the AML compliance officer will do then annual testing to make sure that that program is followed, that they're really doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know, in terms of collecting investor information, uh, reviewing, reviewing all the data, uh, getting them through all the screening and everything. And at the end of the day, it's, yeah, it's the AML compliance officer that provides that oversight uh, to that different team. So that's really interesting that you're describing the, the difference in the roles between the AML compliance officer and then the onboarding teams who are actually doing the investor due diligence. And you're talking about it within your organisation. So um, this, this would be from the example of TMF, for example, providing the AML officers and then doing the investor onboarding for their client, which is the fund. So that's a, a very typical structure that we see when we're launching funds where the administrator, the fund administrator will um, take on the investor due diligence side of things and the fund will rely on the administrator to um, you know, use their own policies and procedures when they're doing their due diligence um, in compliance with Cayman AML. So can you, can you explain how that relationship works a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. I think that also that's a great advantage of having, you know, a fund administrator involved. So when we are appointed as administrator, then the fund can rely on our policies and procedures from an AML standpoint. So that will also be mentioned in the, the fund launch uh, resolution, for example. Uh, so fund doesn't need to, you know, prepare its own AML compliance policy procedures. We kind of have that for them and they rely, uh, rely on us. And again, when we are appointed as AML compliance officer, then um, yeah, we just have to make sure that our team does what they're doing, as I just mentioned before. And um, yeah, as, as an AML compliance officer, we we would, for example, also do the entity risk rating. We provide you know uh, what we call short form policies and procedures, so that we demonstrate the relationship between the funds, the investment manager, and the fund administrator and its AML compliance officers. That kind of in that document kind of stipulates everything else and who's doing what and how that all works yeah that's that's great and one thing i think that people need to be mindful of as well is that obviously in this situation that we're envisaging here tms acting as fund administrator and has a cayman office and so it's fully compliant with cayman aml um, laws if you're using a fund administrator that's not based in the Cayman Islands and is based in another jurisdiction, there must be a gap analysis done to make sure that the policies and procedures that they're applying are, match up to the Cayman standards and are at least equivalent to them. Um, and if they're not, they need to be applying basically the Cayman standards rather than their own um, standards in their own jurisdiction. So that's something important for people to consider where they're using a fund administrator somewhere other than in the Cayman Islands. Yes, especially when that other country is not a low risk country based on, you know, Cayman, uh, Cayman requirements, that's really important. It's really useful to hear um, from you that distinction and about what everybody's role is. Um, people might be wondering when you um, set up a Cayman fund, you have to appoint an anti-money laundering compliance officer, a money laundering reporting officer, and a deputy money laundering reporting officer. So can you just explain to people what the difference is between those roles? Yes, yes, for sure. Um, I think we just spoke about the anti-money laundering compliance officer, which has an oversight role, making sure that AML framework has to be uh, in place and, and adhere to. And then we have the, the MLRO is really the person where 
the staff or the funds um, employees really have to report suspicious activity reporting to. And uh, upon fund launches, the MLRO also issues those procedures so that everybody knows uh, what to do in, in respect of those suspicious activities. And once that you know, comes up, hopefully that will not come up very often, and then you know, the MLRO has to investigate, has to review the case. And if it feels that it has to be escalated, then they will uh, report to the FRA, the Financial Reporting Authority in Cayman. And um, yeah, and a deputy MLRO is really uh, a deputy to the MLRO just in case MLRO is for some reason absent, then the deputy can take over its role. Thanks, that's really helpful. So I think people really get confused about what the difference is between those roles. So I think that that's really clear. So thanks, Laura. It's been really good to talk to you. I think we've really um, heard why it's important to appoint Cayman resident directors and also um, you know, some of the regulatory concerns for people and demystifying the whole AML process and policies and procedures, which I think can feel quite overwhelming to people as to what it is that they have to comply with and what it is that everyone's supposed to be doing. So it's been great having you. Thanks a lot. Um, and I hope that we'll continue to work together on a few more fun launches. Same here. And it was really great to work with you on this. And yeah, hopefully it was really uh, helpful for, for our listeners. And uh, so thank you. Thanks so much.